And the person interviewing me wrote those words down, looked up from his piece of paper and said to me, so do you think we're going to like that? Yeah, I, I do what I do today, Kathy, because of a fourth grade field trip. No credit to me, just me fumbling along with what I knew at the time and the dog being very forgiving of my mistakes. There's nothing like finding your calling early. I get that. I've always been fascinated by people and talking with them. Well, mostly talking, but talking with them too. I'm insatiably curious, I always have been. My mom used to joke that she wasn't worried about my getting lost. It was more that I'd be so engrossed in a conversation that I'd just kind of wander away. And that happened. Often. <laughs> I don't know that I was necessarily cognizant of it at the time, but connecting with people always mattered to me. It matters to today's guest, too. John McLean listens. Really listens. It's a good thing, since his vocation is the creation and mastery of sound. He's the top dog at Monster Sound and Picture. If the name sounds familiar, it's because I thank them at the end of every episode. From the word go, John and I had a great connection. I couldn't wait to have him on the podcast today. He's really good people and a fascinating human. We talk about leadership. And he's gotten lessons from dogs in his life, but really big lessons from his dad, whose example as a Marine Corps colonel showed John that the power of a true leader lies in listening to the people that they're leading. Oh, and we also debate the finer points of cookies and savory versus sweet oatmeal, which is random, but somehow also fits in the conversation. So there's that. I'm Kathy Brooks, and this is Talk Unleashed. Hi, John. Hi. It's so good to see your face. Que pasa? It is good to see you as well, sir. It's uh, uh, you know, other than yeah, you're having uh, a you're. Having I'm having a month. I'm I am having a very interesting time. That's the way we will. <laughs> may you live in interesting times. Uh, well, for for yeah. what it's worth, yeah. Dawn and I were like, well, Kathy can't not live somewhere. So if she has to move in for a little bit, she can move in. <laughs> <laughs> is that why you were asking me how many dogs I have? And then there's the little no, pain no, on your not face. No, <laughs> related at all, but, you know, whatever. Well, you're very, very sweet. Yeah, it'll be, it's going to be an interesting couple of months, I think. Interesting couple of months. Um, so, John, I want to start with you kind of randomly in the place, as you know, being the remarkable producer. So, uh, I've, I've spoken of John McLean. Uh, here on the show before and monster sound and picture as the uh, remarkable, the remarkable folks who help me sound remarkable. So thank Can you for all of get that. One thing out of the way right away. Yes. Yes. It's the same name as the diehard character. I but had it first, it's, but it's, and it's spelled differently. Yeah. But I embrace it. It's wonderful. Every time I go to a friend's house in a guard gated community, the guard at the gate says, weren't you in Die Hard? Ugh. All of them, all over the valley. It's awesome. That's hilarious, especially since it was a character's name and not an actual person. Yeah, they're having fun with it. I think it's hilarious, so we roll with it. So, uh, John, I want to start with you um, where where I get to start with, with all of the wonderful humans with whom I speak here, which is when I say an impactful memory— of an animal in your life, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Hmm. My dad was in the Marine Corps, and we, we had several pets named after Marine Corps characters. We had a dog named Semper Fi. We had a cat named Bam. And we had my first dog that I remember was a little beagle mix named Gomer. And he was an awesome dog. Uh, and I just remember one time he ran away and he was gone like three or four days. And my sister would probably argue that she was really upset about it too, but it didn't feel to me like anybody was really upset about it except for me. 
And then when he came back, why do you say like, why do you say that? Um, well, you know, my folks are from that generation and upbringing of a dog is a dog. I mean, as my dad retired from the Marines and and grew older and and softer uh, in his uh, approach to the world, he just absolutely fell head over heels in love with all his dogs. But when he was younger, and especially, I mean, that he was right out of Vietnam and the Battle of Way City. Um, so things, he was still pretty hard about his attitude towards them. You know, if they ran away, they ran away. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know why that I bring that up as an impactful memory other than to just say that that was like the moment where I'm like, hmm, I, I really like my dog a lot. <laughs> what was it about that relationship that really landed for you? How old were you at the time? Oh, four or five. Oh, itty bitty. And Gomer slept with me from that point all the way up until uh, when he died when I was like 16 or 17 years old. And um, we went on backpacking trips together. And, you know, we all we lived back east, but all family was out west. So we would road trip with the dog and you know he was just a huge part of my life and he was a a little dog that had no idea he was little he he thought he was a big dog and the other big dogs thought he was a big dog well it's it's funny i mean you've met you've met mine and the um the ruler of the roost is the seven and a half pound chihuahua terrier Right. And she's, it, the other dogs are very, very clear that she is large and in charge. Even your German shepherd is very clear that Harlow, who is the size of his head, <laughs> is large and Which in charge. Which is so funny, right? Ozzy is such a beta boy. He just, he's, well, he's delightful. So, so you've got this dog and you're a teenager when he, when he goes, did he just, he passed of old age? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just, it reached a point, uh, where my mom said, you know, we've, we got to take him to the vet. He's miserable. And she was right. He just would lay in front of the door and he groaned and it was tough, but you know, <clears throat> that was the, the first, uh, pet that I've assisted across the rainbow bridge, but certainly not the last. Well, and you were a my, teenager. Uh, my experience with my first German Shepherd, Sebastian, mm -hmm. was very impactful too because I was at a point in my life where I was like 20 and I had just met my wife Dawn and I was living with a bunch of guys in this kind of ratty neighborhood in Detroit. And uh, I, was, I was working a job delivering uh, food and adult beverages to the officer and NCO clubs on the base that my folks that we had lived on, but my folks had gone to Japan and, uh, Sebastian sort of, sort of forced me to step up and have responsibilities. And, and I think that that sort of, you know, eh, life could have gone a bunch of different directions at that point in time. I was, you know, running around, hitting the punk clubs and playing in bands and doing all that stuff. But having this this beastie that wanted to go for walks and wanted to play and whatnot and have to be responsible for him and feed him and all that stuff was uh, that was the other big doggy impact in my life. So I, you know, the other thing that's you know obviously been a big part of your life really from early early days is is sound. Hmm. Indeed. Um, and uh, when, as a, a master of mastering, see what I did there? Um, um, as, a, as a master of sound, as someone who's curious about sound and for whom the, the auditory imprint of the world is, um, is, is, a, is a substantial part of your world, when did that begin for you? At what point did sound really come as a guiding force? Uh, when my dad was assigned to a year unaccompanied in Okinawa in uh, 
71, 72. Um, he bought two reel-to-reel tape recording machines. And we had one, you know, the identical one at home. And he would record messages to my sister and myself and send the tapes. And then we would record things and send them back. And one of the things that I loved to do is to go around the house and just record the different sounds, the dog barking, the things being cooked, whatever, and narrate them. And, and, um, and then there was a moment I was 10. So it was several years after he got home and I still remember it as clear as day. Uh, we were out somewhere and I came home and we lived in this great neighborhood in suburban DC where there was just tons of kids everywhere and almost everybody's parent Gee, it was DC. Almost everybody's parent either worked for the government or was in the military. And uh, I got home, and all my friends were across the street playing, and they were like, "Come on, play!" And I'm like, "Yeah, I just got to put my stuff away." And I ran in the house, and our house had wood floors. And I remember running up the stairs, and all the windows were open, and I could hear the lawnmowers and the feet on the stairs, and everything was just in such relief. And I, I still, I can hear that as clear as day. And, and it's, um, I guess that was the moment when I realized that while most people approach the world visually, I approach the world through my ears first and the visuals are secondary to what I hear. What's that like for you in communicating with other people? Cause it's well, really I, like I, you're speaking another language. Well, I, I describe an awful lot of things when I'm talking to people in, in regards to how they sound or more important because it, it connects with people better is how they how they feel, right? Like our visual information and our our oral information, they work together, but... Oral as in A-U-R-A-L, A-U, not yes. oral as in... Mouth, correct. Yeah. Um, but our ears are where we gather our emotional context for something. Say more about that. Well, I don't know. There's been a gajillion studies done on it, but the easiest way to experience it is to go to YouTube and look up a video of somebody replacing, for instance, the music in Jaws with happy circus music. So the the trailer for Jaws is no longer scary, right? You don't have the bottom, bottom. That that tension is fed to our ears. I mean, light moves at the speed of light and sound moves at the speed of sound, and they're vastly farther apart. But our brain actually reacts to sound before the visuals. And if given conflicting information from your sight and your hearing, your brain falls back on your hearing as the truth and discards what you're visually seeing. Hmm. So words have a different kind of power. So words can be used literally as weapons because a word spoken. Yeah, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me is complete BS. <laughs> You know, you said something interesting. So you think about sound. Um, I love there's a, I don't know whether it's on Reels, on Instagram, or maybe it's on TikTok where it says, you know, replace, you know, put this sound track over the last video, you know, on your phone and you'll turn it romantic. You'll turn it sad. You'll turn it happy. It's the um, the violins in Psycho. That yeah. <laughs> You know, that mm-hmm. sound. Um, or um, more recently and, and tragically, uh, Barber's Adagio for Strings, which is one of probably one of the most well-known soundtrack pieces that people may not know the name for. It's, um, it's often used during yeah, funeral it scenes. Platoon, and mm-hmm. it was it had a Got remarkable wrenching. effect. Well, yeah. after the one October shooting here in Las Vegas, the uh, October concert for the Las Vegas Philharmonic was about nine, ten late, days later. And they pulled apart. It was supposed to be an Oktoberfest concert with, you know, lots of Oompa Loompa sort of, not Oompa Loompa, because that would be Willy Wonka. You know what I mean? Oompa. Oompa. You, 
Oompa, just like Oompa without the Loompa. Um, Lots of like later Hosen sort of tuba music sort of deal, I guess. And, um, and they, they had Adagio for strings as the opening piece. They invited all first responders. They gave away tickets. The whole balcony was filled with first responders and um, survivors and victims, families who were in town. And they played the Adagio for strings and you could hear the people weeping. In the like, you could you could just feel. Well, just you talking about that piece of music before you even brought it up for the symphony, I can feel that that emotional tug in my chest. Mm-hmm. This is the wonderful thing about sound. Is like I, when I was teaching the power of sound at the UNLV Film School, I would tell the students, "Sound can make you time travel," and they'd look at me like I was nuts. And I said, well, think about it, right? Like there is a moment in your life. And when you hear that piece of music come on, you're back there, right? Like a, like I do recordings of my son and I've done them since he was just a, a blabbering baby. And now he's 14 years old and his voice is dropped. And, and I have all these recordings. And when, I, when, I, when you look at a picture, you're like, oh, that's a nice memory. I remember that. But when you listen to a recording, like my father's gone, my mother's gone. But when he, Declan was little, we would sit around the dinner table and we would play this game we called Pass the Story, where somebody would make up the story and they'd get to a point and they would pass it to the next person. And that person had to pick it up. And I listened to those recordings of me and Dawn and Declan and my mom and my dad. And it's, you're there again, you know? I know you, you've experienced a loss in family, you know, and when you think about sound and you think about uh, recordings today, the power that we have today to hold on to those that we love, there's a lot of different ways that can be sliced though, right? If we, you know, hold on to them too tightly, we don't ever actually move on, but it's, I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, sound as a as a means to journey through grief. I I don't know how I could speak on that. Um, I know how it feels for me, but you know, sometimes when you're grieving, you, you want to have happy memories and sometimes you want to wallow. Right. And, um, you know, if I'm thinking about my mom or my dad, and I put on one of these recordings, like I talked about, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a happy moment. I used to talk to my parents a lot. And so not being able to pick up the phone and talk to them just sucks. But, you know, this death is a part of life. So que sera, sera, as they say. I miss them, but it's just part of the journey. I don't, I, you know, there's all kinds of information out there about sound and healing. I'm not studied up on it. Um, I have my go-tos. You mentioned Adagio for strings. Uh, for me, the only piece of music that ever made me cry is, um, I, I totally, uh, butcher the Frenchman's name. Um, and I'm going to drop it now right in the middle of an interview. So that's great. But uh, it's a it's a symphony for horns, mm. and I was listening to it on headphones, sitting in the living room, and I just started weeping. It was like I didn't even feel it coming; it just happened. Mm. But you know, Camille Saint-Saëns. 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 Camille Saint Saint Saint. Yeah, it's such an incredibly beautiful piece of music, and it's for it's a. Uh... It's a what for horns? Did you say? Third movement symphony for horns, symphony if memory serves. Horns. So, when I say the word leadership, what does that? What's the first thing that comes up for you? Uh, listening. I I I watched my dad lead Marines. My father retired as a full colonel and um, the Marines very much uh, 
put an emphasis on leading from the front. In the Battle of Way City, uh, if you read about the battle and you read about the early moments as the Marines are waking up to what is happening, there's a story about four tanks that were headed from the camp down to the boat launch at the Perfume River to figure out what was going on. And my dad was the commander of those four tanks. And as the day progressed and they discovered more and more things going on, he ended up picking up two companies of, of Marine infantry and battling their way to the headquarters. And his bronze star talks very clearly about leading from the front. Major McLean was out in front of the troops. And um, I, I didn't know a lot about that because he never talked about it until after he was gone and I was I read his his uh, citation. But it just sort of reinforced for me what I knew about him because when he when I was ever around any of his Marines, my dad listened to them and took all the information in before he gave them orders. And, and, and it's ironic because I think it took me a while to apply that to my own leadership, but it's just listen to the people around you. You know, you hired them because you're, gut trusted them and they had something that they're bringing to the table. So, so listen to them. Listening also involves what people aren't saying, listening to the listening, if you will. Sure. Some people call it, you know, the unsaid things, what's between the lines, that sort of thing. As someone for whom sound is such an acute part of your life. When you think about how that applies in your leadership uh, with your clients, with your team, I've witnessed you and experienced you with your clients and working with your clients as well as with your team. I would love for you to share a little bit about how you came to the kind of leadership you have now, the way that you I mean, leading from the front, you know, when someone is young and inexperienced, it's uh, very much a let's charge up the mountain, let's go guys kind of thing. But there's really a lot of nurture and guidance and to your point, listening to people and paying attention to their body language and what they're not saying and all of that. And I would, I would love to know how, how you came to the leadership that you have now, which is, um, well, I'll share, I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking there and let you answer the question. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to go with this one. Being a, a military brat, we like to call ourselves that, um, you, you learn very quickly to land in a new place and make friends, figure out the people you want to be around, the people you don't want to be around. It's talked about all the time on brat forums on Facebook or whatever. It's, I don't know, man, it's a high BS factor that you develop. You know, it's a, it's a, I just moved to a new place, lost all my old friends. I got to make new ones thing that, that we all seem to have. Um, I just, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I get a feeling off of people. I have a really good sense for telling if somebody you know, has the kind of passion that I have for doing this. And my last two hires are, um, actually my last probably four hires were all, uh, people with very little experience, but they were, I could just, you know, they were interns. They started as interns because I couldn't hire them because they didn't have the skill set. but I just, I just innately knew they'd work out. And one of them is a partner in the business now. And the other one runs her own room. You know, Evelyn, she just in my class at UNLV, she just was constantly raising her hand and asking questions to the point where I joked with her and I'm like, can somebody else answer a question? Poor thing was mortified. And I had to explain to her, I was just kidding. And then at the end of the class, I said, why don't you come intern for us? And, and now she's a full-time hire. And there's people in other aspects of the business that I found the same way. And they've gone on to do other things. And 
I, I truly believe that part of that, a big part of that is just being a, a, a military brat. I, 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 I feel like I'm talking about it so much, but it's a huge part of my life. And, and, and it was an extraordinary way to grow up as heartbreaking as it might be to move away from all your friends or your girlfriend or whatever, you know, I look back on it. I'm like, damn, that was freaking awesome. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I, I've met a number of people who grew up as military brats and, um, it seems that there's often two camps or at least in my experience, many of the people that I met form um, surface connections very quickly. They get to know people, they get connected to people, they make friends. You are like the least surface human I know among the least. You are, I, yeah. You're not 100%. like there's there's nothing superficial about you. You um, you and I, I remember very clearly taking a class. I don't, I think we sat next to each other in a class before I took a class with you. I sat yep. next to you in a voiceover class and, you know, we were maybe five minutes into the class. I liked you immediately. And, and we connected on something very substantive. Your cowboy boots. Well, there was my cowboy boots. Which but that, that was the icebreaker. I was like, yeah. those are some awesome cowboy boots. And then we, yeah, but it's, yes, it's like you break the ice, you're very, very comfortable, and you also then are unabashed in moving forward into the high, here's who I am, which is well, not always I, together. I hate small talk. Right, right. And and so, so funny, because Dawn could tell you a myriad of stories about where we're somewhere, and I'm just like, okay, we got to go. Because none of my tribe is there. And I try to have a substantive conversation and, and I don't know, is shunned too strong a word? <laughs> I, I can tell you a specific uh, story. Uh, we were at a dinner party and we were out in the backyards, beautiful Vegas weather. And everybody was sitting around and I, you know, joined in and they were talking about whatever they were talking about and something came up and it reminded me of this thing I'd read about um, some physics theory. And I brought that up and it seemed like the conversation was rolling really well. And then one by one, people were like, uh, I've got to go get another drink or I've got to hit the bathroom. I'll be back. And I didn't think anything about it until I, there was only like two other people I was talking with. And I looked over and everybody else is gathered over there. And they're back to talking about what celebrities dating, what celebrity and who divorced who. And, you know, and I'm like, I just, I looked at Dawn. I'm like, did that really just happen? And she's like, mm, it did. And I'm like, okay, way that's to, cool. Way to clear a room, John. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, did I fart? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Might as well have. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because I'm very... Uh, I can be very self-conscious. So one of the first things I say to Dawn is, did I like totally bogart the conversation? And she's like, no, no. But they didn't, they wanted to talk about that. Superficial and that's things, fine, yeah. But it's just not interesting to me. I don't give a rat's two ass. diddlies about <laughs> any of that. This is an adult this, language podcast. I actually have it tagged so you can, you can, you can say grown up things oh, if you want fucking to. fucking thank you. <laughs> You've been waiting for the last 32 minutes to say that. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> Fuck yeah. No, but I, um, what is it you think people are so afraid of? Like, what is it, what is it in diving into an intimate conversation or an intense conversation, do you think that really scares people? Just a guess. I know that this is not necessarily your, your area of expertise. Just. Well, I think we're all afraid of, of you know, we all have imposter syndrome. It's just part of the human experience. Hmm. You know, yeah, I've told you about this before. I have this group of men that I get together with a few times a year. And, and, and it's a, you know, it's a loosely organized group. And 
we work on being better men, better husbands, better fathers, better humans. And we call each other on our bullshit and, and we talk and we, we expose it all. And I, I resonate with these people and I'm sure that they feel the same way because we're not afraid of laying that bear and having one of our brothers go, dude, what are you doing? That's fucked up. Don't do that. You know? And I don't know. I think I know for myself in the past, I I'm, you know, scared of what people think. I just recently joined a band. I haven't been in a band since before Declan was born. That's amazing. And yeah, it's so much fun. I'm having. What do you What are you guys time. called? Uh, Garage Mahal. Of course you are. It's it's awesome. Uh, it's like an Americana Nashville thing. We're doing like two and three part harmonies. I'm playing a little guitar, um, an instrument called a strum stick, a lot of harmonica. I'm singing leads. I'm singing backups. And there's one song. Because I'm not a piano player, but I have taught myself to play a, this song on the piano. And it's this beautiful uh, song by Ryan Adams called My Sweet Carolina. And the reason I bring all of this up is because I'm not a great piano player. And I'll make a mistake in the song. And now, when I was in bands pre-Declan, if I made a mistake, I was mortified. And my inner critic would take over and would be like, dude, everybody heard that. They think you suck. You're terrible. And now when it happens, I just add it to the song. Oh, my sweet. Oops, that's the wrong chord. I'm going to play it again. And I just sing my mistake to the audience because who cares? I had a thought and it's gone. It was going to be, I just grabbed, I went, it was one of those, I'm, I have a thought that bounces off that so nicely. And, um, I tried to grab it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it squirrely. answers your question, but it gives you an idea as to how my mind. Sure. Out. Sure. No, I think it applies because I just, I've reached a point in my life where, uh, I don't care. I, I, I need to. You know, there's a there's a very popular saying these days that I completely 100% believe in. You are responsible for your own happiness. And it oh, applies sure. to so many things. And I, in the last few years, through my men's group, realized that I was relying on other people for my happiness. And, and the other realization that I had was if, uh, like... They can't make me happy, but the other realization is I don't I don't have to make other people happy. So what would you say if I proposed that each of us is responsible for everything? Meaning, think of it in the kind of the quantum space, right? That butterfly flaps wings storm clouds other side yeah, of the totally. planet right if so that energy I, shifts yeah if i'm happy because i'm happy with myself then that energy goes into the universe and other people can feed off of that is that is that what you're getting at mm -hmm. yeah i totally agree with that so in that sense i am responsible for others happiness insofar as i am responsible for my own yeah I, I need to make sure that I'm happy without stepping on other people's toes. Right. So it was the old line, uh, you have the right to swing your fist, the right to swing your fist ends at the tip of my nose. Well, hopefully before the, before the, hopefully be yeah. before the tip well, of your or nose. Or as my lovely wife would say, don't be a dick. Right. Well, that's Declan's rules. Yeah, but it's a it's a great rule for everybody. So Declan's rules. How old was Declan when he made those rules? Uh, well, he didn't make them. Don and I made them. Oh, but he was probably oh. three or four when we started telling him the rules. Okay, and so rule and number so one the... is have fun. Rule number two is don't be a dick. I thought rule number two was don't die. No, that's rule number three. 
And we didn't give them that rule until they reached like eight or nine and they started, you know, doing Doing boy things. things. Okay. So, uh, interesting. So, have fun. Don't be a dick. Don't die. I like that don't be a dick comes before don't die. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. Don't be a dick is super important, but have fun is more important. You can have fun as long as you're not being a dick. I guess they have equal weight. Equal weight. So it's like really one A and B. Yeah. yeah. So technically there are only two rules. Yeah. There you go. Okay. One A and B. But not that I'm Well, Declan to. made a, a fourth rule. Right. Which Don't is? Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. And he made that around age eight or nine. Interesting. And how did an eight or nine year old come up with "Don't get drunk"? Who who so, were they witness? Who was who was Declan witnessing? Well, I think he witnessed all of us adults getting together and drinking. But there was one adult in particular in the group who could not control themselves beyond a certain point. Mm. And uh, and. He witnessed that, and he witnessed how it affected his friend, and he was like, okay, here's a rule. Mm. And of course, you know, when your eight- or nine-year-old comes up and tells you this is a rule, you're like, all right, that's a good rule. It's a very good rule. Yeah. So the thing that just came to me is um, the word voice popped into my head, this idea of individuals' voices. You know, we live in a society today that's kind of fucked up to say the least, you know, when you kind of look at categorically how the world is is moving. And so as someone who works to be a good measure for good in the world and good energy, positivity, if you will, as you're guiding now a teenager, you know, how do you guide – Find your voice in a way that's responsible. Hmm. Example, by example, certainly. But, you know, we're back to listening. It, he, he asks questions. We, we created envirom- an environment where he's comfortable asking questions about things. And then he asks the questions and we end up having pretty involved conversations about them. And it could be everything from the way people act, the the sort of weirdly incessant need for fame amongst a large part of the population, um, to sex, to drugs, to living in a city like Las Vegas, which is amazing and wonderful, yet can be really bizarre and freakish all at the same time. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about things that I'm passionate about, like the wilderness, and he's become a huge lover of wilderness. And we take trips into the backcountry together and disappear for a few days at a time. But I, I think it's all about listening and creating a place where he's comfortable. And, and you know, the thing is, that's cool, what Don and I love she always said when he was a baby that she wanted to be the Kool-Aid house, right? The house that all the kids came to. And, and we are, and it's wonderful because most of these kids have been coming over since they were three and four years old. And now they're, you know, sophomores and juniors in high school. But the best part is they talk to us. Even if they won't talk to their parents about certain things, they talk to us. Well, you're approachable people. Well, and it's it's <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to not go. Don't do that. Here's what you should do, and instead just listen, right? Mm-hmm. But what I what I find really fascinating about them is if I'm able to keep my mouth shut, they come to that on their own. They just needed somebody to talk to about it. And then, you know, they circle around and they come back and they're like, oh, and they have the same realization that I would have said at the beginning, but they got to it themselves. And we all know that arriving at that moment of clarity by yourself is way more effective than having somebody pointed out to you. 
Well, in most cases, when someone's told to do something, um, you know, people have changed their mind, mind and done things mostly never when a finger's being wagged in their face saying, bah, bah, bah. I mean, that's not typically uh, how that works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. Not in my own experience. It's like, that's a terrible idea. What time? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Come to the dark side. We have cookies. Well, it depends on what kind of cookies. If they're oatmeal raisin, I'm out. I, I don't understand the hatred for oatmeal raisin. They're wonderful cookies. They're awful. It's a breakfast They're food. Delicious too much sugar. You will not convince me. Ugh. I don't actually okay. even particularly Total like Total tangent here. Okay. Are you familiar with the concept of savory oatmeal? I am familiar with the concept of savory oatmeal. Well, see, most people ask this about their, like, what? But it's wonderful. I oatmeal with like half an avocado, a couple of poached eggs, and some sausage or bacon. Oh yeah, delicious. I mean, as long as it's not like maple cinnamon oatmeal, like plain oatmeal. Well, no, because like that would be vile. Oats that steel you cook cut on oats. the stove. Well, steel cut oats or a, or even rolled oats are really yeah, sure. a neutral. They're a neutral canvas. You can make yes. them sweet or you can make them savory. Yeah. So it's like I mean, and people grits, eating savory oatmeal for hundreds of years, right? But, but 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 it's a it's a weird concept to most people. I I find because we're so used in this country to, you know, putting sugar in our oatmeal or well, we're accustomed chips in this, or, we're accustomed in this country to putting sugar on it. Everything is kind of part of the problem. Yeah, one so. of the many. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, but grits. I mean, if you've ever eaten in the South, I mean, I grits love are grits. Oh, so oh my good, God. so good. Butter and maybe a little more butter, and then a little bit of butter, and then some salt and pepper. Unless it's salted butter, in which case, so good. I'm sorry. Is there a kind of butter that's not salted? You know, it's funny. Until the pandemic, I was an unsalted butter gal because I bake a lot and often baking recipes call for unsalted butter. Beginning yeah, of the pandemic, but all those hit, recipes are wrong. Well, no, because you typically add salt separately from the butter because it allows you to then meter the amount of salt in the baked good. So this is this is my version of the oatmeal raisin moment. Well, all I can tell you is that I went to the market and there was no unsalted butter. It was like there had been a run, no toilet paper, no bottled water, and no unsalted butter. So I got salted butter, and I brought it home, and I go to make some toast in the morning, and I take a little slice of butter, a little pat of butter, and I spread it on my piece of toast, and I took a bite, and I thought to myself, dear God, I've been missing I remember this from a previous episode of Talk Unleashed, which is a great podcast that you all should subscribe to. I love that you just put a plug for my podcast in the middle of my conversation with you on the podcast. That was genius. That was genius. <laughs> nice work, John McClain. You're hired. Thank you. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, man. Salted butter. Salted Kerrygold. Oh, that's a whole good other shit world. right there. That's oh, a whole, my God. I think, I'm dro- I think I just drooled on my microphone. Is that bad? <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Amazing stuff. You know, um... Do you like peanut butter or any kind of nut butter? Do I like peanut butter? Is that a real mm-hmm. question? Well, there are weirdos. I mean, I'm not there, allergic. Man. I'm not allergic to peanuts, so I do. Okay. I and I am an I'm a creamy unsalted gal. I like just peanuts. Just well, peanuts. I like just peanuts, but crunchy I prefer over creamy. Unfortunately, in my house, are you overshadowed? Peanut butter people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's all right because I I like uh, there's this uh, nut butter called Nutso. And it's like a mix of a whole bunch of different oh, nuts. That sounds so good. But anyway, I'm totally wandering off on a tangent here. My point was going to be toast your bread to your mm. preferred doneness and then spread butter all over it and then put the peanut butter on. Oh, and then call your cardiologist. <laughs> it's, this is the only Piffle. way to eat peanut Piffle. butter toast is with butter on it. Butter? First peanut butter and then maybe a drizzle of honey on the top okay that's a really great idea Mm -hmm. 
It sure is. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So before we go too far off the rails, I have no idea what any of that has to do with anything other than it being a delightful tangent into... I mean, it, it, folks, if you're still listening, congratulations and thank you for coming on our wandering with us. <laughs> thank you very much for that. Um, I have absolutely no idea how I didn't even think forward to about where how I want to tie this one up with you. Uh, not tie you up because that would be different and that's a different podcast altogether. So, brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> brown chicken. Brown. Yeah. Oh, I see what you just did there. <laughs> like, there you saying? go. Takes me a minute. So, uh, I, you know, your cardiologist statement. Um, where, I, I'm, where are I'm you not going? buying that. Where are you going? Well, I just, that? you know. You're going uh, right back to the butter and peanut butter? Well, I'm going back to taking care of yourself, I suppose, right? Mentally okay. and physically. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's then, then you know, moderation. People make that joke, in. but I'm like, no, no. No, no, no. Well, I mean, if you eat it every day for breakfast, you probably need a cardiologist. If you well, do it occasionally, it's not a big deal. Not if you take care of yourself. Deal. Not if you take care of yourself. I don't know. I don't know. I take really good care of myself. Cholesterol, sometimes it's a dietary thing. You got to be careful. Mm. Especially when you get north of her. <laughs> yeah, I'm already north of her. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're, are we done? I think we <laughs> I think we may have come to the end I'm of this sorry. conversation. I That's okay. Ah, no, come on, it's keep fine. going. This is fun. This is fun. Um, yeah, I, I just I lo- I had a whole really great ask him this. It'll be a great bring it all home sort of thing. And I'm just uh, so you got anything you want to add? I'm sorry, you asked me end? about taking care of my kid and how you do that. And I, you know, I guess my theme today has been listening. You know, I'm sorry, and, and I've never, I've exactly, but I've not always been a great listener. Hmm. You know, uh, I've, I've been that, that person who is thinking of my own answer before you have finished what you're saying. And, um, it's really, I would say it's just in the, it might be longer, but I'd say in the last 10 years, maybe 15 there was a point in my thirties where I I came to the realization that I was kind of um, angry is a little strong, but impatient, very impatient. My father was right up to the end. He was the most impatient human being on the planet, and uh, and I decided I needed to do something about that. So I um, I was talking to a friend, and they recommended a book called The Tao of Pooh about Winnie the Pooh. As in Winnie, not that. not as in poop. Yes. And I read that and uh, it just took me down a rabbit hole of books on Buddhist philosophy. And uh, I, I worked, I struggled very hard to apply that to my life for many years. And then this men's group that I mentioned – that was kind of the breakthrough for me. There's a, a guy who kind of, he's kind of our de facto leader, but he's, he refuses to accept that mantle. But he, you know, I think he just recognized something in me and that I needed a, a forum to, to chill out and talk about this. And, uh, and, and yeah, I don't know, man. Shit's been really good ever since. This is Talk Unleashed. Sit tight. We'll be back right after this. Anger. The world is saturated with it these days. Seems that no matter where you go or whatever you do, somebody's pissed off. The other day, I had an encounter at a crowded gas station with a woman who was screaming at me to move my car. How it got started, what happened, that's not really the point. But let's just say... It was a friction-filled moment where I had a passing thought that I really hope she doesn't have a gun in her car. It was a gas station, and gas, gas is pricey right now, ridiculously so. We were all in line because it was a station with cheap gas, and the lines were long. It was hot. But overall, everyone was being pretty patient, kind, even. And as this woman spewed her anger, which really had nothing to do with me, it was palpable. 
the experience others were having, others who were clear across at other pumps, not engaged in the exchange at all, others who were in their cars 20, 30 feet away. I could see it. I could feel it. The backsplash of somebody's bad day spreading its negativity, and I thought, how many times have I done that? How many times have I been pissed off or even just irked? and then spewed my bullshit on someone else's day. If I'm being honest, I've done it a lot. Oh, sure. I'd tell myself I wasn't taking it out on anyone else, so it was okay. But the truth is, just walking around with that dark cloud shooting lightning bolt hanging over my head, it does affect others. Sometimes a lot. What if the person I'm affecting suffers from PTSD and exposure to that anger triggers them? What if the person who picks up my bad day turns around and goes home and takes it out on their spouse or their kids? There'd have been a time when that gas station moment would have been me meeting that woman's wrath with my own kind of a, oh yeah, you want a piece of this? Come on, bitch, what are you gonna do? Kind of thing. I'm glad I'm evolved. Because all I could do in that moment in the gas station was feel compassion for her, for this person whose day and maybe even her life was so utterly awful that the only thing she can do is take it out on somebody else. And I like to think that maybe, just maybe, having her anger met with neutrality followed by compassion took some of the edge off for her. Here's to hoping. Thanks for stopping by. If it's your first time here, I'm so glad you joined us. And if you've been here before and you're back for more, splendid. Glad to have you. Either way, make sure you don't miss out on the great conversations we have coming up on Talk Unleashed, as well as the ones we've already had. Hit your favorite podcast player, subscribe. And while you're at it, leave a review. It helps other folks find the show, a show that, by the way, I definitely don't do on my own. It takes a village. And Talk Unleashed wouldn't be possible without John McLean and the amazing team at Monster Sound and Picture. Thanks, John. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I look forward to having you back next week for another episode of Talk Unleashed. Unleashed.